The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life. ...bed and into the houses of your servants and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go and sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning, and thank you, Jenna. So we're going to go this morning through the plague narrative. We're starting with the second plague, and we'll be going all the way through the ninth plague. We're going to save the tenth one for next week. I want to get right into the text this morning, so would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would speak through it this morning. Pray, Lord, that you would get me out of the way. Let your voice be heard and speak to each of our hearts. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we get started, remember our context, where we've been the last couple of weeks. The Israelites have been enslaved for about 400 years in Egypt. And God raised up Moses, and he called him to return to Egypt to deliver the Israelites from captivity. So he's already asked Pharaoh, to uh, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, one of the most powerful men in the entire world at this point in history, to let the Israelites go. And Pharaoh refused, and God turned all the water in Egypt to blood. And that brings us now to Exodus chapter 8. So we get the second plague that Jenna just read for us. And we start this morning there. So God speaks to Moses and he tells him to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go so that they may serve me. And if he doesn't, God is going to send frogs that will be everywhere. And that's what happens. Frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And then there's this group of magicians that we hear about. 
And they did the same by their magic arts, the text tells us. These are not masters of illusion. This is not Penn and Teller that we're talking about. They're not practicing some sleight of hand. This is real evil. This is true power, evil power, and they do the same thing. And Pharaoh pleads with Moses to ask God to remove the plague. And Moses says, you pick when. And he says, tomorrow. Moses says, very good. That's what's going to happen so that you will know that Yahweh is the one in charge. So Moses prays and the frogs die and they leave a stinking mess. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. As soon as the plague is out of Pharaoh's mind, it's gone and he's moved on. Now from here through the end of chapter 10, we're going to see one plague after another, back to back to back. And all of them are basically variations on these 15 verses that we've heard already this morning. There are some phrases that keep coming back in, in most or even all of these plague stories. For example, each of the plague stories starts with the exact same phrase. Then the Lord said to Moses... Then Yahweh said, we've talked about this before, anytime you see the word Lord in your Bible with all capital letters, it means Yahweh. This is one of the names of God that he reveals himself by, and we're going to see this throughout the entire plague narrative. Then Yahweh said. God wants us to see that he is orchestrating and initiating each and every step along the way here. He speaks to Moses. He gives instruction, and Moses listens, and he obeys. Which leads us to the next refrain that we see. Let my people go that they may serve me. God sends Moses to Pharaoh over and over to tell them, let my people go so they may serve me. In fact, 28 times we see that phrase or some version of it. God's instruction to Pharaoh couldn't be more clear. These are not your people, Pharaoh. These are my people. And I want you to let them go. You think they're here for your benefit, to serve you, but they're not. They're here to serve me. It's in their design. It's the way that I created them. So let them go so they may serve me. And this leads to the next refrain that we see over and over and over in all of the plagues. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He didn't listen. Moses heard from Yahweh, and he listened and he obeyed. Pharaoh heard from Yahweh, and he neither listened nor obeyed. His heart was hardened. Now, we'll talk more about Pharaoh's hardened heart in a few minutes, but for now, see the pattern. God speaks to Moses. God speaks to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may serve me. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And then many of the plague stories close with, as the Lord had said. This was the plan all along. Pharaoh's heart was hardened as the Lord had said. 
If you have your Bibles open to Exodus 8, flip back a couple of pages and look at Exodus chapter 3, which we saw a few weeks ago. And let's look again at what Yahweh said to Moses in the burning bush. Exodus 3, starting in verse 18. God says, You and the elders of Israel shall go to the kings of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Each time Moses came to Pharaoh, Pharaoh had no idea what would happen next. The Egyptians didn't know what would happen next. The Israelites didn't know what would happen next. Even Moses himself didn't know exactly what would happen next. But God knew all along. He was going to deliver his people. And Yahweh's will, his purposes, cannot be thwarted. He is sovereign over all. These are the common phrases that will shape each of the plague stories. So now that we understand this basic structure, let's keep going looking at all of these variations on the plague theme. So let's continue on in chapter 8, starting in verse 16. This now gets us into the third plague. Starting in verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, if you were here last week, Scott mentioned that the plagues, the 10 of them, are grouped into three cycles of three. So one, two, and three go together, four, five, and six, and then seven, eight, and nine. And the third in each of those cycles takes a little bit different form like we see here in the the third plague. God doesn't send Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. There's no warning of what's coming. No requests are made, and no conditions are given. God just sends the plague. So there were gnats on man and beast in all the land of Egypt. And again, we see these magicians, but they've already reached their limit. We're only three plagues in, and already they're beyond their abilities. They could no longer reproduce what God was doing. The God of Israel is the God of all nature. The magician's power, as powerful as it is in their evil, is limited. They confess, this is the finger of a God. The ones who understood real power better than anyone else already know that they're out of their league. And with this declaration, the magicians will almost completely disappear from the story. 
because now they've served their purpose. And that takes us to the fourth plague. So God sends Moses back to Pharaoh with the same request. If he doesn't listen to God, if he doesn't listen, God will send swarms of flies on him, his servants and his people. The houses will be filled with them. But for the first time, God sets apart the Israelites. He makes a distinction between my people and your people. Not just to save the Israelites, but also to display God's power to the Egyptians. So the flies come to the Egyptians only. And the text says the land was ruined. Pharaoh says the Israelites can sacrifice, but they have to stay in the land. He's trying to negotiate with Yahweh. He's trying to let them go a little bit, but only on Pharaoh's terms. Obviously, this doesn't satisfy God's demands, so Pharaoh pleads again for the plagues to stop. Moses prays, again naming tomorrow so that Yahweh will get the credit, and God clears the land of flies. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. That brings us to the fifth plague. So God sends Moses back to Pharaoh with the same request. If he doesn't listen, God will send a very severe plague on Pharaoh's livestock. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the cows, the sheep, the goats. And God again separates the Israelites. No animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Israel again experiences this miracle of deliverance, of protection. And God sets a time again. Pharaoh's visible control is diminishing. It's getting narrower and narrower with each plague. And so all the livestock of the Egyptians died. This is the first plague we see that's directed against created things. And it's the first plague that we see that brings death. And again, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened brings us to the sixth plague. Now, God doesn't even warn Pharaoh. He just tells Moses and Aaron to throw handfuls of soot into the air, and it will become boils breaking out in sores on both man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians are mentioned one last time here in this entire, in the entire book of Exodus. It's the last time they're mentioned just to point out the fact that they can't even stand before Moses because they're suffering so much from these boils. Yahweh is demonstrating that he is the God over health, both for Egypt and the Israelites. And this is the first real demonstration to the Egyptians that their lives might actually be in danger. And here we see another first. Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Six times before this, either Pharaoh hardened his own heart, or it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But here, for the first time, the text clearly says Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. God is increasingly taking control here to show who the true creator is. And that brings us to the seventh plague. So God sends Moses back to Pharaoh with the same request. Are you seeing a pattern here? God tells Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Pharaoh is exalting himself when he should be exalting Yahweh. 
God says, tomorrow I will send a very heavy hail. And God warns him. He gives him a chance to bring in all the animals from the field because anyone out in the open field will be killed by the hail. And everyone who feared Yahweh listened to him. And those who didn't, didn't. And the hail came everywhere in Egypt except for where the Israelites were. And the hail struck down everything that was in the field, in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, every plant, every tree. The elements obey their creator, even to the point where God can specify the target of his destruction. For the third time now, Pharaoh says the people can go, of course, according to his guidelines. Pharaoh is continually negotiating. He's always trying to maintain control. He's doing some of what God says, but always on his terms. Pharaoh tells Moses, I have sinned. Plea for me with the Lord. But Moses knows he doesn't really mean it. Nonetheless, Moses prays, and the storm stops, and immediately... Pharaoh sins again and hardens his heart. Brings us to the eighth plague. Now, before Moses goes back to Pharaoh again, God has something to tell Moses. He tells Moses that he has hardened the hearts of Pharaoh and all of his advisors so that, God says three things, I may show these signs of mine among them. Then he says, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart so that you, Moses, and the Israelites may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. And the third thing he says, I've hardened their hearts so that you, Israelites and Moses, may know that I am Yahweh. Not only so the Egyptians may know, but also so that future generations of Israelites may know. This is not meant to be kept secret. It must be told and remembered. Even those not yet born will remember what was done there. So now God sends Moses back to Pharaoh with the same request. And if he doesn't listen to God, God will send locusts that will cover the land and eat everything in it. Even the court officials now are pleading with Pharaoh, please, will you just let them go? So Pharaoh agrees, and he releases some of the people, again, on his own terms. Moses rejects the offer, and the locusts come. The text says they ate all the plants of the land and all the fruit of trees that the the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. We need to feel the weight of this increasing intensity, this increased destruction. The the pressure is is growing from, from inconvenience and annoyance with the frogs at the beginning that we saw today to material loss, to the loss of food, to physical suffering, to complete destruction of the land. 
And Pharaoh again confesses his sin and he pleads for help. Moses prays and God brings a strong wind that blows every last locust out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Which brings us to the ninth and our final this morning, plague. So now for the third and final time, God doesn't even warn Pharaoh. He brings pitch darkness over the land. A darkness to be felt, the text says. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But the people of Israel had light where they lived. Pharaoh tells Moses that they can go, but without any of their animals. Again, on Pharaoh's terms. Moses rejects this, and Yahweh hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now, this last one might seem a little bit anticlimactic. Is this really building an intensity? I mean, a three-day nap in the darkness sounds kind of nice sometimes. But that's not at all what's going on here. This was a massive escalation. This was devastating to the Egyptians. The ninth plague did not destroy any plants or animals. It shattered their entire cultural worldview. The greatest of their gods was the sun god. He was the national god of Egypt. Pharaoh was his divine son and representative on the earth. And in this plague, Yahweh blotted out the greatest God that the people of Egypt knew. Pharaoh is finally pushed to his limits, and he still won't submit or soften his heart. And our passage this morning ends at the end of chapter 10 as he gives Moses an ultimatum. He says, get away from me. Take care to never see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses says, as you say, I will not see your face again. Mic drop. And cliffhanger. Now before we move on, we need to address this issue of hardening Pharaoh's heart. The text tells us numerous times that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then four times, God actively hardens Pharaoh's heart. So, which one is it? Is God sovereignly hardening Pharaoh's heart? Or is Pharaoh responsible for his own heart and the decisions he makes? And the answer is yes. It's both. And that might seem contradictory to our minds. But there are a few things that we need to keep in mind as we work this out. First of all, we need to remember our posture before God's word. We humble ourselves and we submit ourselves under God's word. We sit under God's word. We do not stand over in judgment God's word. If we are never challenged or made uncomfortable by scripture, then unfortunately we're not worshiping God we're worshiping ourselves. The second thing we need to remember is that he is God. And we're not. 
Pharaoh is specifically used in the New Testament, in fact, as an example of God's sovereignty and his authority over all things. Look at what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. God has all knowledge. He has perfect wisdom. He has eternal perspective. And we have none of those things. We have so little knowledge. We have so little wisdom. We have such limited perspective. If we object to God's decision to harden Pharaoh's heart, we need to trust in his goodness. And the other characteristics that we see here in this plague narrative in Exodus. He responds with strength when his children cry out for relief from violent oppression. He is a restorer of justice. He redeems and he delivers the helpless. He sets the captive free. At the same time, we need to remember that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us and the Pharaoh of Egypt. And Pharaoh, like the rest of the world, deserves God's wrath and judgment because of the sin in his life. Pharaoh is no innocent bystander. So we've seen the arc of this story, how God continues to intensify these eight plagues that we've seen. Time after time, Yahweh, through Moses, gives Pharaoh these ultimatums that go unheeded, and they result in tremendous loss and suffering for Pharaoh and for all of the Egyptians. Until finally, Pharaoh tries to turn the tables, and he gives Moses an ultimatum, and we're left with one giant question. Why? Why is all of this happening? Why is God doing this? Is this all about freeing the slaves? About freeing the Israelites? Is it about embarrassing Pharaoh? Or punishing Egypt? Is, is this about shattering a false religious system? These things may have all happened, but they weren't the ultimate why. Look at what God says to Pharaoh throughout this passage. Chapter 8, verse 10. So that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh our God. Chapter 8, verse 22. That you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Chapter 9, verse 14. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Chapter 9, verse 29. So that you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. So that you may know. 
Yahweh has total control over all creation because he created it. Water, the animals, the insects, the weather, the health, disease, the light of the sun, even life and death, all under Yahweh's authority and control. The God of the Israelites who seeks their freedom is the God of all creation, and he is Lord over Egypt. But look at what Pharaoh said back before the plagues started. This is in chapter 5. He said, who is Yahweh? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh. God says, I will show you who I am. Pharaoh will know that he is Yahweh. And not only Pharaoh. The Egyptians will know that he is Yahweh. Chapter 7, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 14, verse 4, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 14, verse 18, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. And it's not only Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but the Israelites will know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 6, verse 7, he says this to the Israelites, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God. Chapter 10, verse 2, he says to Moses and the Israelites, that you may know that I am Yahweh. Do we see the group expanding here? But it's not only Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Israelites. And this is the main point of the entire passage. Why is God doing all of this in the plagues? You have to see this. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 9, verse 15. Look at what he says. Chapter 9, verse 15. God says to Pharaoh, By now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. He says, do you not see that I could just take your life and destroy all of Egypt? At any point here, have you wondered about that? Like, why doesn't God just kill Pharaoh? He could do that. Why doesn't he just wipe out all of Egypt and have the Israelites walk away with all of their possessions? He could do that. In fact, he will do it. When we get into the book of Joshua, we see him do exactly that to different nations. But he doesn't do that here. And God answers that question in the next verse, chapter 16. But for this purpose, he says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up. Did you catch that? Don't miss God's sovereign hand at work here. You are not seated on your throne, Pharaoh, because of your heredity or your family line or for any other reason. You are seated on your throne because I put you there. I raised you up. Why? Keep going in verse 16. To show you my power. I put you on the throne of the greatest empire that the world has known 
so that I could show you my power. Not your power, my power. You are in this position for one reason and one alone, to show you my power. I spoke everything into existence, and it all answers to me. I have all power and authority, and you will see my power at work. Why is God so intent on showing Pharaoh his power? The end of verse 16. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Do you see how this is not about Pharaoh at all? It's not about the Egyptians. It's not even about the Israelites. God says, I'm going to show you my power, Pharaoh. I have put you in position, and I'm going to show you my power so that the whole world will hear about me. The whole world will know that he is Yahweh. He is putting Pharaoh and the Egyptians through this increasingly destructive cycle of plagues so that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And this is the whole point of the ten plagues. Yes, the ten plagues demonstrate God's power to Pharaoh. Yes, they show Egypt God's power. Yes, they show the Israelites God's power. Yes, God delivers his people from slavery. Yes, God keeps his covenant from Genesis chapter 12 with all of the Israelites. All of those things happen, but more than all of those things, he is spreading his glory and his fame and his worship to all the world. God's purpose in the Exodus has global implications. More going on here than simply liberating his oppressed people. Yahweh demonstrated his power among Pharaoh and the Egyptians 3,000 years ago so that his name might be proclaimed right here this morning among the source church. And not only here, not just inside these four walls, but so that his name would be proclaimed throughout Plainfield and throughout Joliet and Romeoville and Oswego and Manuka and Morris and Naperville and Aurora and to every tribe and tongue and people and nation around the world. This is why God gave the plagues to Egypt. so that we might be reconciled to God to live forever with our creator, Yahweh. Because we know something that neither Pharaoh, nor the Egyptians, nor the Israelites, or even Moses knew. And that is that Yahweh, the one true God, the all-powerful creator, would come to earth himself in the form of his creation. That out of the depth of his love, out of his amazing grace, he would pay the penalty for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. 
Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, has come to bring new life, eternal life, to all who follow him. So what are we to do with this incredible story of plagues? What does this display of God's power over 3,000 years ago mean for us today in 21st century America? First of all, see that he is Yahweh. Open your hearts to what God has done and see more of who he is. God has gone to great lengths to make himself known to us. The plagues tell us in no uncertain terms who God is and what he can do. He is the creator God. He has all authority and all power. He is not bound by the very laws of nature that he created. Do we really believe in this God? He alone is worthy of our praise. And not only is he worthy of our praise, Yahweh is worthy of our service. Near the end of the Exodus, Joshua says to the Israelites, Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve Yahweh. There is no neutral ground. Jesus said, Whoever is not with me is against me. He said, whoever does not gather with me scatters. You are either for me or you are against me. So choose this day whom you will serve. And serve him with all that you have. He is worth it. Finally, make Yahweh known. Make him known. God says to the Israelites in Exodus 10, verse 2, Tell in the hearing of your children and grandchildren how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them. Make Yahweh known to your family. Make Yahweh known to your friends. Make Yahweh known to the people he has specifically put around you. Make Yahweh known among the nations. Because there are three billion people in the world today who have never heard, not once, that there is a God who loves them and came himself to make a way for them to experience life forever. And if you're not sure what to do about that, that's okay. Pray a very simple prayer and say, God, I want to make you known among the nations, but I don't know how. Would you show me? With every fiber of my being, I tell you, he will be pleased to answer that prayer.